Sober Experiment podcast by Be Sober. I'm Alex, one half of Be Sober. And I'm Lisa, the other half. We're dead proud to be working with IPHM this season and can't wait to tell you all about them and their services. The IPHM is a worldwide accreditation board with a difference. Their passion lies in helping people live the life they love as well as giving the public the reassurance they need to know they'll be in safe hands. There's a reason all our coaches are IPHM accredited and a reason we are an IPHM accredited training provider because their reputation is simply the best out there. Check them out at iphm.co.uk and don't forget to name drop Be Sober when you apply. So this is it, Lisa, we're officially in Christmas run-up. I've been good though so far to be fair haven't I mean last weekend we had our Be Sober Christmas do kindly organised by Be Sober Manchester and Be Sober West Didsbury what a lovely bunch of people you all were thank you it was so lovely to meet you all we had a nice time didn't we it was so lovely I love stuff like that especially being able to celebrate Be Sober at Christmas in Manchester I know yeah and sober (laughs) and with our other halves I know, yeah. We're also sober by the way. I know, I imagine that. Because other halves actually aren't allowed to go to be sober events unless they're sober. Yeah, so they they didn't want to miss out. That was it. They just said, well, I I was sick of missing out on your events for going sober. I completely made that up, but it sounded good. Um, If you do want to know more about our events, check them out on our website under What's On. Um, There's quite a lot coming up in the new year. Um, And support us ever. So that should be good. Anyway, come on, tell us about today's guest because we haven't got loads of time to twaffle. <laughs> oh, I know. I love twaffling with you, though. <laughs> I love twaffling, especially when it's the first one that we've recorded of the day because there's like loads to catch up on. But genuinely, we take up too much of the person's time when we start talking now. I know. Sure we're, do, we're doing really well at sticking to half our episodes, aren't we? Like, I'm well proud of us, actually. <laughs> We did a nearly 40-minute one the other day. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's half an hour, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's good. Anyway, um, we've got the lovely Sophie Adami on today. So Sophie's in recovery from alcohol addiction and she's now helping hundreds of other people maintain long-term recovery as a coach. So she spent a long, dark decade in the depths of addiction, successful on the outside in exciting jobs, relatable. But actually, (laughs) um, she said she said says that she was on a deathbed emotionally spiritually and physically after waking up one morning during a trip to Indonesia Sophie called a family member and she was scooped up and poured into a safe house so that was like Sophie's uh, the beginning of Sophie's recovery journey which obviously came with its ups and downs as we all know but it was also the start of a new life full of joy um, Sophie, like us, believes that the success of maintaining long-term recovery lies in our daily behaviours and mindset, and we can't wait to find out more. Hi, Hi Sophie. Sophie. Hello. Thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, we're both really, really good. Thank you. So, yeah, whereabouts are you in the world? I am uh, just outside Melbourne. I'm near the Great Ocean Road, so a place called Geelong. It's a city. Yeah, so Quite Victoria. A time I'm loving yeah. this stuff. We've got our hoodies on and you're looking very summery there. 
There are straps. I just realised my hair was covering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could actually just have appeared on the podcast with nothing on, actually. We won't we'll go there. <laughs> we do have one of our ambassadors, actually, um, our Be Sober Surrey and London ambassador. And she's just notorious for looking naked on all our Zooms because of the way she comes on with strappy things. And yeah, but anyway, well, love my one here. <laughs> <laughs> I've been so excited to see you both. Oh no, we're really excited and I don't know if you know, but we've now got a Be Sober Down Under team. I did see that, so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I know, brand new, um, just launched, but yeah, we're very excited. So the more kind of Australian and Southern Hemisphere connections we have for our members, the better. So this is amazing to get to meet you. Brilliant. Well, it's great to be here. Well, we're going to dig straight in, if you don't mind, Sophie. We've just had a little bit of a chat in our bio, actually, and we know how much you really, really love sharing your story. Um, what? Oh, I'm so sorry. I was just saying to Alex before, I'm not very well today, and I'm trying to pretend I am, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> she always tries to pretend she is, and I can tell she isn't, because she's just not there at all. I know, I'm so sorry. But yeah, so um, at the beginning, you spoke about being really successful to everybody looking in, but actually feeling like you're on your deathbed emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Um, could you give us a bit of an insight into what was going on for you there and how your journey into recovery started yeah absolutely um so drinking um drinking was part of my life from a fairly early sort of teenage um time so I'd actually grown up in Switzerland until I was about 11 or so um and then moved over to the UK and when I got to secondary school as you two might also know you know it's fairly cultural in the UK to get stuck in pretty early um and it was always loads of fun um and you know it really ended up being uh the sort of centerpiece of the social butterflies that we were you know as we were growing up um we centered everything around it and then I also started working in a pub fairly early on you know on, on the restaurant sort of pubby side but very much encased in other people drinking and, and that sort yeah. of stuff um so when I got to uni um because my friends were a little bit older than me when I got to uni I was very much already you know ready for that kind of lifestyle of going out and, and it was already the lifestyle really so it just carried on there um after uni, I actually decided to go back into the restaurant industry because I loved food. I was a real foodie um, and got back into it. And it was there where it started getting a bit sticky. Um, so the hours were very long. You know, it was a good sort of 90-hour week or something that we were doing running this really beautiful restaurant. Um and it became the norm, you know, to finish work and then have a few drinks. And then over time, um, you know, people buy you drinks during a shift and you're tired, you want to relax. Or I did at the time anyway. So that was a really great release. Um, when it started becoming a bit of a problem was when, um, you know, we would have these heavy nights after work and then we'd feel rubbish in the morning. So, the drinking would creep in in the day. Um, you know, it might be lunchtime where we'd say, oh, we just have a half a beer or, or something. But then that got earlier and earlier to the point of, you know, 
it becoming the norm to start the day with a Bloody Mary or something just to kick off and feel a bit normal. Um, the tricky thing with starting early is the topping up throughout the day continues. Um, so it becomes, a, a you know, very habitual to do it throughout the day. Um, kind of got to the point where it did get out of control quite quickly, but it was glossed over by myself and everyone around me because everyone was doing it. Um, I did start having blackouts and things like that, but it was always laughed off. So it, it wasn't really too much of a problem. Um, it did then become a bigger issue when I decided to leave that industry because I thought, you know, I'm just always tired, not actually connecting the dots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on over, I'm just tired. It's one of our phrases that we love to say that I'm not hungover, I'm just tired. Yeah, you're hungover. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because the reality is, you know, if I fast forward now, I'm probably awake for many more hours than I was then. <laughs> but I'm so awake all the time. Um, but when I got into, so I started working at the Royal Albert Hall in London. So again, wow. there was a lot of, um, it was incredible. Um, but again, the, the the culture was very much, you know, being out and, and, um, and uh, you know, partying basically. And everyone was really fun. And we were all, a big majority of the people there were in their 20s. And, you know, it was just great fun. Um, but it was progressively getting worse and worse. So, um you know, I'd started um, relying on drink for basically dealing with anything. It was really my coping mechanism by that point. And mm. that's when it probably got at its worst because um, as I had these different jobs, I'd left the hall, but then, you know, I was freelancing and things like that. I couldn't really handle anything in life because my go-to was then always alcohol, which then always made things worse anyway. Um, so I really started reaching a lot of rock bottoms and never quite bad enough, but mm -hmm. to the point where I'd say, okay, this is ridiculous. Um, I need to give up for a month. Um, so I would, and I'd feel amazing. And then I'd celebrate by going out at the end of the month. Um, and that it's cycle. It's a common thing, isn't it? That cycle of, oh, I'm cured, I'm healed. Look, I've done a month. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not an addict. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah. And it's really interesting, isn't it? How, um, in my experience anyway, I worked so hard at trying to find ways around it, you know, managing to squeeze it back in rather than just going, this isn't serving me. Um, but I would always find a way to justify bringing it back, you know, try every trick in the book, the kind of just drink on the weekends or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, at one point, I, I remember even my friend reminded me of this kindly the other day. Um, I'd keep a logbook, you know, things like that. That's um, like you, that, Lisa. That's what you know. used to do with your phone, isn't it? <laughs> I'm just thinking like so much of what you say, actually, Sophie, is relatable for both of us, probably, yeah. because we grew up in pubs. My mum worked in the hotel industry. Mm -hmm. And it's like that kind of industry is it's like one long Christmas holiday, isn't it? You know where the drinking does creep in? Because at Christmas time, people start to think it's all right to wake up and have a Bloody Mary and, and things like that. It's just... Books. Yeah, books. We, we kind of make all these things up to make it more doable, I suppose, don't we? And that it's all right. And it was only recently I was reflecting back on this and going... You know, most people that came into the pub might have only come in once a week, but it was so normal because there were, 
being someone that worked there, there was a constant stream of people coming in. So it was normal to drink all the time, even though all those people were only having maybe one or two drinks every time they came in. That's a really good point, actually. That is a really good point. When, When you get kind of the weekly drinkers, they're only seeing you once a week, but you're there doing the same with different people every day. And they don't see that. Yeah, yeah. You know, when we when we had the pub, my stepdad used to say, like on a Monday, he would literally, looking back, it's so sad actually, but he would beg us not to shout him down. He'd be like, please, if anybody comes in and says, I need to speak to Terry, just please tell them that I'm not here because I can't face have it. I just want one night. And because people used to come in the pub and think it was the landlord, they wanted to buy him a drink. They felt like they were doing a good thing and socialising with him but it exhausted him because for that reason it's just honestly your story is so relatable and I just want to add this in right but when you worked at the Royal Albert Hall I I knew you were going to do I was going to ask you about that (laughs) I can't not but when I was a teenager I once played a solo on my corner in the Royal Albert Hall that's like my claim to fame Amazing. I can one now. I can't even make a noise in one now. <laughs> but apparently, I was pretty good when I was a teenager until oh. I found booze. What a place to go and do that! Amazing memory. I know. Well, yeah, it was. But I did actually, not long after that, I left the band and spent the rest of my teenage years drinking. In fact, my cornet got smashed up at a party where me and all my friends had got drunk at and I had to miss a band job the day after. So you just brought that <laughs> that memory back. I thought so you were going to say it had been filled up so you could do a yard of ale out of that. <laughs> oh, God, no, no. <laughs> oh, God. But so you're you're like us in many ways, we think, because obviously the relatable story, but also your impression about mindset and saying it's really important in staying sober. And in your bio that you sent, you talk about compassion, forgiveness and releasing shame. Can you give us a bit of like tips, top tips of um, what you would say to somebody who might be stopping drinking or have just stopped drinking, they're riddled with guilt and shame about their past Oh gosh, it's so hard because if I if I take myself back there, you know, often so many things don't work at that time because we're so deep in all of that stuff, you know. So it's very difficult to kind of climb out and actually see, you know, the wood for the trees because it feels so strong, doesn't it? That shame, that guilt, and all of that sort of stuff. And um, I mean, it's it's what I've based my whole. Um, coaching practice around actually the wolf you feed I don't know if you uh, are familiar with the parable um, that that's based on oh no one tell us tell us tell us actually I'll I'll read it to you because I've I've got it here so I don't get it wrong (laughs) um so an old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life a fight is going on inside me he said to the boy It's a terrible fight and it's between two wolves. One is evil, he is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority and ego. He continued, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion and faith. The same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. We'll get back to our chat shortly, but first let us tell you a little bit more about our friends at IPHM. 
So IPHM is a worldwide accreditation board with a bit of a difference. They pride themselves in the personal service and it's proper humans in the office checking through the applications. They genuinely know how hard you've worked to start your own business and they'll be there for you every step of the way. Their passion lies in helping people live the life they love, as well as giving the public the reassurance they need to know they'll be in safe hands. So if you want to stand out from the rest and become part of a worldwide recognised organisation, then choose IPHM for confidence and trust. There's a reason all our coaches are IPHM accredited and a reason we're an IPHM accredited training provider because their reputation is simply the best out there. Check them out at iphm.co.uk and don't forget to name drop Be Sober when you apply. I have so, actually heard that before. I've heard it. said it, so mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Really love yeah. it. And it's true. And it's true. Because funny, funny enough, Lisa and I were having a chat yesterday. Sorry, I know I've interrupted your answer now. But Lisa <laughs> and I were having a chat yesterday and we were talking about this. And if, if you go into typical recovery let's say and you call it recovery and you're poor me I can't drink it's not fair life's not fair that's how you're going to feel all the way through your sobriety and you're just going to be miserable and in an existence but if you go you know what this is an opportunity for me to start again to have a happier life to be able to cope with my crap to be able to start a new career if you go into it with that attitude that just grows and grows and I know Lisa could be accused of I don't think she is but could be she's so positive this means I am clearly by somebody we have had a chat and we have said this before because she is genuinely so positive and you've got this new thing of toxic positivity but that isn't that's just how Lisa is she feels so positive and grateful about everything that that's what she gets she gets happiness she gets joy it's not paper for Lisa it's not papering over a load of stuff she just looks for the best in things. I think I'm right there, Annalise. You are, yeah. I find it really hard and because people do talk about toxic positivity quite a lot and I've had to sit there and think, oh, shit, am I that? Do I do that? Am I? And then I found myself right, thinking, oh, maybe I do because I am grateful for everything I, and I am happy for all these things. Um, so then when I kind of look back, you know, everybody... I believe has shit happened to them. And I don't believe my shit is any worse than anybody else's shit. But for me, stopping drinking made everything better. It helped me deal with so many different things that were going on in my life. But I'm definitely not one to go back into past trauma and to past things I'm happy to kind of go yeah that happened and you know what I'm just and maybe that's not maybe that is toxic I don't know but I'm all right I feel all right yeah Um, sorry no go on go on I was was just about to say um that really makes me think of you know that's such a great tool that you have Um, unfortunately a lot of people don't have that come to them naturally um yeah. especially if they've been in the in the depths of an addiction and um sort of sorry it saved me a while to come back and actually <laughs> answer the question about tips and things like that <laughs> but, but no 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 it's uh, it's um but so so what we can do is actually um coming back to the wolf is actually nurture that good wolf um even when we don't feel like it it's yeah. a little bit like the um sort of doing something even if you don't want to 
but knowing that there's a greater good at the end of it because what happens you know I'm a big fan of um, neuroscience of addiction things like that and habits and reward and dopamine and what happens when we actually feed that wolf and we start seeing the good rewards is that we rewire in our brains to actually start learning that ah those good things give me good feelings and give me good outcomes so I'm going to keep doing them so feeding the good wolf just you know he gets she or he gets stronger and stronger and that that bad wolf you know that that encompasses the shame and the guilt and those sorts of things doesn't necessarily get killed off we're then able to hold space for it and look at it from a different perspective and go okay I see you but I'm coming from a place of compassion and I accept what I went through but this is where I'm at now and also you don't get stuck back there because I was very much the opposite. I, I have learned my journey through Lisa, genuinely. And I, I say that, I'm a, she's my best friend. She's been my best friend for 30 years. But genuinely, she showed me the way here. I did hold on to my past trauma. And when I was, I had another big incident happen, which I talk about very openly and I had a miscarriage and it rocked my world and took me right back to being a victim. It took me right back there and I could not get out. I was drinking at this point and I could not get out. I was stuck. I was stuck in self-hate. I was stuck in um, feeling sorry for myself and my past. I could not get out of it. And Lisa actually said, look, you just need, I can't remember the exact words. We went for a walk and she said, you've just got to focus on one good thing and you just start with one good thing and focus on it and that will grow it will grow it will get better and of course and that is now you know I my the way I look at my past since I stopped drinking two and a bit years ago I've really let go like it's so liberating when you stop being stuck and stop feeling like a victim and you actually just see it for what it was it was something that happened and it was sad and it's shouldn't have happened and we wish it hadn't have happened but you can move on you can grow and I do, oh yeah I love, I love what you just said sorry I'm toffling now no absolutely <laughs> and actually it allows us to grieve that part of what happened and those experiences but then move on you know rather than sort of festering and, and wallowing and, and um, just swimming in them really which yeah. just doesn't serve us going on and I love what you said about um, the one thing that you can do because you know it can be really overwhelming to go, right, okay, I'm going to do all these things. And inevitably, we won't end up doing any of them because it just seems like too much of a a big task. Whereas focusing on one thing, you know, and that looks different for everyone. It could just be getting up for a shower in the morning or it could be going for a walk or going to a a 12-step or whatever whatever the direction of someone's recovery is in. Um, that just that one small thing makes such a difference because it opens up all those doors to the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. I wonder sometimes if it's things like this that I've kind of, I do naturally do, and I'm just not very good at articulating it. So I think you're really like good at articulating it. I've, I'm not, I'm too kind of abrupt with it, I think. Like, I would, do you know what I mean? Get up and get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's the kind of things that I'd say, but it's not what I'd mean. So, like, I know sometimes, and I think about this often, is when we were talking about being positive before and people look and they're like, well, it's not as easy as that, Lisa, to do it. 
and I'm the first one to think, you know what? It's not that easy. Like I do not lie in bed and think, oh my God, my life's awesome. I can't wait to get up today. Sometimes the first one thing I do is get myself out of bed because sometimes even that is really, really difficult. And like when you said to have a shower, when you're not feeling great, having a shower, it's like climbing a bloody mountain sometimes, isn't it? When you're not just yeah. getting and having that shower and it's kind of a build-up of all them one things to get because like what you said before, for the greater outcome, you know that it's going to make you feel better than if you lie in your bed going, this is awful but sometimes it is bloody hard I know you've said as well Sophie that you use quite a variety of methods in your recovery was there anything any particular method sealed the deal for you uh yeah and it's one um one of the ones that I use with a lot of clients myself and it's habit forming which which actually oh, you know <laughs> comes back to this do one thing as well because when we start habit stacking on a yeah. good habit you know it just starts flowing um but habits for me was huge because when I so I'd gone to rehab and then uh, I'd gone back to the UK I hit a bit of a wobble so I ended up quitting my job and actually going over to Indonesia to work on my recovery. And um, while I was there, I was feeling really ungrounded, you know, really ungrounded. <laughs> and so I couldn't really do anything until I put some structure in place. Um, and I noticed how beneficial it was to, number one, have a routine, but number two, actually just start building tiny, tiny habits that then grew into big ones. You know, mm -hmm. I, I look back now and think, gosh, I started off with a, an hourly routine, you know, timetable literally written out and stuck on the wall. Yeah. I don't do that now because everything's become habit, but I do have an A3 sheet with my um, one-month goals or three-month goals on it to keep me kind of myself in check. But it's just, it shows over a, a period of time how effective creating those little habits then become lifestyle and then become the norm. Yeah, it so does. I advocate it massively. Um, because also when it comes to, you know, yes, it's great to have one or two good habits, but when we start habit stacking, um, rather than doing it in possibly not the healthiest way. I used to have it stacked when I was drinking, but it would be get some work finished and then drink a bottle of wine. <laughs> Whereas... And then um, have some shots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, start linking sort of that success with a celebration. Whereas now it's um, stacking a healthy habit on top of another healthy habit, yeah. you know, and, and just kind of trying to look at the day and say, how can I make this day a, a tiny bit better? You know, every time. really little things, can't it? Like, um, I look when I first started, at least when I went through a phase of doing the miracle morning and getting up at five o'clock, I don't know what happened there. We've, we've kind of reduced that down we to exhausted 6 a.m. ourselves, yeah, we did because we, we were getting up at five o'clock and going to going bed about one, um, but we do have kind of a structure to our day, and both of us are up by six and we're, we're exercising and so on. And when I think back to that, of course, it didn't start five days a week out of bed at 6am going down into the home gym and working out it, of course it didn't start like that and, and if you want to drink like more water it's that thing isn't it well if I remember that I'm going to drink one glass of water after I've brushed my teeth or before I've brushed my teeth that habit's already there you're already doing it so just tagging that one on and it becomes your norm and, and it, 
it's so easy now, you know, my morning, as I'm sure yours, it just runs without thought. Yeah, exactly. And it's a little bit like, um, I mean, some people might try this, but not many people would um, book a marathon and then just run the marathon. You know, you might start with a 5 k so <laughs> There's always one. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's progressive and it's the same with habits and good lifestyles as well. Because if we if we say, right, I'm going to wake up every morning at five and do a miracle morning and then, you know, go to dance and then do this and then go to work and then do all of these, the roll of disco and all that sort of stuff, we probably won't do any of it. Um, yeah. Whereas if it's just done bite-sized, you know, in bite-sized chunks, it, it just becomes more sticky and we're more likely to do it again the next day. Yeah. Can, can I just say, honestly, this um, conversation will be so helpful to people because I think it's the practical tips that often lack when we chat to people, you know, like, and, and giving people real things that they can do to work on themselves. I think they will be really interested. Before I ask you our last question, can you just tell people where they can find you? Because I really genuinely think people will be interested in learning a little bit more about habit stacking and, and, and the way that you've gone through recovery. Yeah, of course. So um, my website is thewolfyoufeed.com and I'm on Instagram, um, the underscore wolfyoufeed. So I, I often post um, about things like that, you know, um, habit stacking or routine or how to do, you know, sort of how to things or different techniques and things like, like that. You know, when you chose the name, were you like really tough for yourself? Because it's well good, isn't it? <laughs> I was really happy with it, yeah. I get it. I really get it. I bet you was like, boom, that is I it. I've got I'll that Instagram it. handle. <laughs> we'll um, well, we'll it was, um, links in. Yeah, thank you. And it was, yeah, I really liked it because I love a story. Um, I'm, so I coach and I'm, I'm also a brand strategist um, at a studio in Australia as well. And so I'm really into branding and things like that. And I love stories, storytelling and brands. So I really liked the fact that there was something attached to the name. Um, but also from a personal perspective, it keeps me in check as well, because yeah. if I'm forgetting something or forgetting myself and something I always come back to it as well so it's helpful for my own recovery I like that you know you can always ask that question can't you like which wolf am I feeding right now you know in any given moment you can be asking that question which can really keep you in check like you say absolutely and and in any situation I mean I relate it strongly to recovery but it's actually you know in any sort of life circumstance Yeah. yeah, I love it. I'm like really, really chuffed that you've got it. I, I really like it. <laughs> Thank you. I've been thinking about that all day. And I think because I said I've not like felt great today or not very well, it, even now I'm thinking about which, which wolf will oh, I Can I just tell you how hard work this is going to be for me, Sophie? Because she's not going to accept defeat when she's ill now, right? She's going to be saying, no, I'm feeding the wellness wolf. <laughs> <laughs> honestly it's been an amazing conversation and i just want you to answer one last thing for us so our motto at be sober is be kind be brave be sober oh we ask it in different ways which do you most relate to out of those three right now and you can have all three as long as you tell us why <laughs> i mean it's got to be all three <laughs> it's the it's the hat trick isn't it really um so it's be kind. That was the first one, wasn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, that 
you know, for me, it goes straight back to feeding the good wolf, be kind to others and be kind to yourself. Um, be brave is, you know, in recovery, we need courage. It, it's what starts us off on this journey and actually what carries us through. Um, and be sober, well, it's the best thing that any of us could ever do. So that one's got to be in there as well. Oh. <laughs> Thank you so much for being our guest. It's been an absolute joy to speak to you. We've really, really enjoyed it. And um, thanks for coming on, Sophie. I've absolutely loved it. So thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. So I'm finding these half hour episodes really difficult because I want to carry on. <laughs> but, thank you so much, Sophie. You've been amazing. Thank you so much. Take care. A big thank you to IPHM for sponsoring this episode. They're a worldwide accreditation board with a difference. And if you're working in the holistic or coaching industry, remember to check them out. Visit the website at iphm.co.uk and don't forget to name drop Be Sober when you apply. And if you want to find out more about the work we do or you want to join our amazing community here at Be Sober, you can find out more about us on our website, besoberofficial.com. And until next time, be brave, be kind and be sober. sober.